0: The five blokes. There are going to be some written content on the website for the folks that want to do that. Um, also, the recorded content, like what I'm doing today. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, it's really just like an opportunity to get more content out there uh, and for people to dive deep in topics that they're interested in, uh, like I'm going to do today. And uh, some blokes might do it, some blokes might not. Um, some blokes might be consistent, some blokes might not. It's, it's totally up to them. Um, but I found myself having topics that I wanted to explore. And, uh, and so that's what I'm doing. Um, and this here is the Arsenal bloke. Let's get right into it. All right, so today I am talking about Four reasons why Arsenal suck, but also why it's okay. Um, I've narrowed it down to four things that I think come up often uh, that I see and that I'm going to dive a bit deeper on. So the number one thing and reason why Arsenal are perceived to suck is that the expectations are all wrong. Everyone in Arsenal, and that's a supporter of Arsenal, will say there's a ton of history in this club and a ton of trophies and a ton of everything. We have the Invincibles, we have whatever it might be, some history of Arsenal. Um, since 18 since the 1800s, when they were created, they have 13 top flight titles. That's probably not completely accurate, and I'm, I'm sure they have others. Um, but in terms of recorded titles, they have 13 top flight titles and That's third most all time uh, behind Liverpool and Manchester United. Um, Note Liverpool, I'm saying top flight titles. So I I think Liverpool had 19 top flight titles, even though they only won the Premier League this past year or uh, whatever uh, year it was. Um, And Arsenal itself, they haven't actually won a title since 2003. So the expectation that this team should be winning a title every year, I don't really know where that comes from. I, I, I think it comes from the fact that Arsenal is one of the wealthiest clubs in the world. And so there's an expectation that they actually just win. But I feel like expectations is a lot more than money. It's, it's the players that are on the field. Um, it's the transfers that they make, the business that you do as a club. And if you really look at the business that we've done, it's not the business of a team that should be winning titles, especially when you look at the teams who have won titles with the exception of Liverpool. Uh, Because Liverpool have made uh, arguably relatively few transfers in order to get to that title that they had. And uh, then you look at history a little bit more, even uh, Arsenal have only won four titles since 1990. One of those being the Invincibles, but four titles in 30 years. That's it. And really haven't had any chance of winning a title since teams like Man City and Chelsea have become regulars in the top four. Which you know starts around you know 2010. Additionally, Arsenal have no UEFA titles, none. They they've never won a Champions League. Uh, as far as what I saw, they would never won a Europa League. And even if they have, who, who cares, right? And really, uh, since that title that we won in 2003, the only silverware that we brought in are FA Cups and Community Shields. So I don't really see why expectations are so high. I think that that's changing a little bit now that Arsenal's losing regularly and, and not making top four, you know, or that they're not meeting expectations because the expectations are just skewed completely in the wrong direction from what the supporters think the expectations should be versus what the business actually says that the expectations are. Um, so I think that's that's the big thing. Um, is is just we need to reset our expectations a little bit. All right, number two. The shape. Uh, Like shape shape is something that I'm really interested in, in in soccer and just overall, you know, what formation you play, what the pros and cons are of that formation, how it impacts other teams and and how you play against those other teams. And it's just interesting to see the differences when you play different shapes and and what types of players you need to play in various different shapes. Um, You know, for example, like Mesut he only works in a team that has a shape where they have a center attacking mid that effectively didn't need to play defense, just, you know, found gaps, got into space and, and, and played balls through. Um, And that's why when, when other managers came in, Mesut didn't fit any other system that they wanted to play. And I'm sure there were other reasons. And Mesut is just a a small example of a player who really only fits one system, but um, it's interesting what systems you can play versus what systems you want to play based on the roster that you have. And so, if you look at the shape over the past few seasons, the three-back formation has become more popular, I would say, pretty much since Pep took over in 2016. So, uh, and three-back, five-back, they're basically the same formation. What I'm really talking about is three central defenders and then wing backs, whether those be actual midfielders, which you don't really see that often unless you see like Oxlade Chamberlain in there. Um, sometimes Saka would be in there, but not as much anymore. Um, but typically they're just right and left backs who are getting up the field more often. And that's become a little bit more popular since Pep joined and almost every club has experimented with it. And, and you look at certain teams like Pep, Pep almost exclusively plays a four, three, three, or some variation of that four, three, three. Sometimes it's a false nine. Sometimes they have a true striker. Uh, sometimes they'll even play, you know, uh, w- with two midfielders and and almost like uh, four up top, um, where where the the two strikers would uh, more or less kind of rotate. But that's still kind of a variation of of like a false nine. Um, but but he plays with with really high pace attacking wingers, wide backs that are primarily defenders first, right? The Kyle Walkers of the world, the Benjamin Mendes, Benjamin Mendy a little bit questionable, Zinchenko. Um, you know, all of those players that he's had in the past, um, Kimmich, Dani Alves, uh, others, um, but they are attacking defenders, but their primary responsibility on the team is defense. And sometimes getting up the field is the best form of defense in that sense. And then additionally, Pep relies heavily on more or less having the best midfielder in the world uh, at any given time, uh, paired with really two box-to-box midfielders or one heavily defensive midfielder and one box-to-box midfielder. But typically he expects them to be box-to-box and then more or less swap out and rotate. And and examples of that are, they're all over the place. Uh, Barcelona, he had Xavi Iniesta, Busquets um, for for pretty much his entire tenure. Bayern, Cruz, Slam, Schweinsteiger, Thiago. Um, and then... City, he's got you know KDB Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Fernandinho, now Rodri. Um, It's it's really it's the same situation everywhere he's at, and he he more or less buys players until he can fit that system. The only other manager that does that with that amount of consistency in terms of sticking to their formation that I've seen that that's working is is really Jurgen Klopp. Um, At least that's worked on the longevity, right? He's he it worked at BBB for him, and then he translated it over to Liverpool. I do think that with with Pep as he's gone up in the world that more defensive managers and tactics have just had to be used. Um, Otherwise, uh, you're going to get crushed by these teams that spend so much money. So uh, one example is uh, Louis van Hall, when he took over uh, United, uh, he had a three-back system uh, there uh, with the Dutch team, and he experimented with that at United. Uh, He eventually, of course, didn't work out. And uh, really, Antonio Conte, he was the one who made it a staple of Chelsea's team. I mean, obviously, Mourinho had a high defensive work rate, but Conte's system was really three back and eventually did lead them to, to winning that title. And interestingly enough, in, in 2017, which was the year after uh, Antonio Conte won his title with Chelsea and the year that Pep won his first title, um, nearly every club in the league tried a three-back formation or a five-back formation at some point in time and all of this has a point but it's becoming more and more popular but you have to have a certain you have to have the roster to to play a particular formation like the 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 reason why pep plays a 4-3-3 variation is because of what i just said he he gets two solid center backs he gets the the defense first wide backs the best midfield in the world and then It doesn't even matter who he has a striker half the time it it, it works out and you can see it work out this season, but you have to have a certain personnel in order to actually fill out your shape. And in something like a three or a five back formation, you need at a minimum, you need two things. You need center backs who are very well connected, communicate very well, rotate very well and are going to win balls in the air. So when you have three in the back and and you have these, these wide backs that are effectively wingers, you are effectively inviting crosses in from all over the field uh, because uh, you, you have the wing space is open. All you have to do is break free. Somebody can play a ball in the middle and then presumably play a ball through you, you know, one of your wide center backs, your wide back, and then somebody's in at least on the wing with some space. And if you don't have center backs who, can fill all those gaps as those rotations are happening and also that are going to win balls in the air, then you're doomed for failure. You're going to have balls bouncing around at the box. You're going to have uh, a flurry of attacks that are coming in that your goalkeeper has to either come out for, or, um, or you're just going to get beat to the ball Uh, or, you know, crosses will go over your head and then there's a cross from the other side. Uh, Same thing. You might concede a lot of corners or, you know, set pieces are still a problem. And interestingly enough, uh, that's just not what Arsenal has. But then the, the other thing that you have to have is, at a minimum, you need to have the right defensive midfielders in that scheme. You don't actually need the best attacking midfielder in the world uh, in order to play three back. You actually just need a proper center defensive mids who know when to fill out the gaps. Typically, you play with two defensive mids uh, in, in that type of formation. And then as the wide backs get up, you only really need – one of your defensive mids to hold down the midfield and then as they go down those wings one of two things happens uh uh, presuming that your wide back speed one of two things happens either one of your wide center backs is going to go cover in which case a rotation has to happen to where your defensive mid has to fill that gap either through the center back moving over and then them filling that gap in the middle or they just fill that wide center back gap And then similarly, that other center mid has to shift in order to fill the gap and and basically slide across the field to try to close down that space that was created. Um, And then there is also the wide back cutting in. But like that type of a shift has to be fluid enough that you can not only do it on the defensive end, but that then you can also shift out of it in order to go out and build attack. And it does take a certain kind of player in order to do that, in order to recognize all those flaws. And it also takes a certain center back and then pairing and in order to recognize that and call people back and to do what they need to do. But you don't necessarily need the best in the world. Um, You know, they, they need to be able to make crunching tackles just like the center backs need to be able to do. They need to be able to win headers. They need to be able to shift when they're supposed to. And they need to be able to distribute at a, at a basic level, uh, so that they aren't just losing the ball in that defensive midfield area. That's the primary. They can't lose the ball there. Uh, but if you have those two things, you can have a successful group that plays that type of formation. Now your attack is your attack is your attack. There, the attack is a little bit less relevant, I think at this point, um, because in that type of formation, ideally you have at least five attacking one of the wingbacks, um, something like, uh, uh, you know, an attacking midfielder, I suppose, and, uh, and and at least one striker and, and you know, the wingers that are there as well. So from that sense, you're kind of giving the, the, the attacking side of the field a little bit more freedom, but that's a little bit less relevant for really what Arsenal's problem is. The Arsenal thus far, at least in 2020, they conceded 48 goals in all, 20 of them at least were from set pieces. And I remember watching the games and being like, wow, this is bad. Like we can't mark anything. And set pieces aren't even your shape. I only bring up the statistic about set pieces because they, it it proves that there's no grit and that they don't have the right people to actually win balls in the air and be organized enough on a set piece to just mark people. Because at the end of the day, a set piece is just, sometimes you just have to put a body on somebody in order to make sure they don't get the ball. You don't even have to win it. And so you just have to mark appropriately and win the balls that come to you. And as a defender, you're supposed to have that advantage. That's why you're out there. That's why you're big and strong. Uh, and that's why you have the team. So that's only set pieces. I, I know for a fact, watching the games in 2020, that there were plenty of goals conceded from crosses. Um, even this season, Brentford's second goal was abysmal, a long throw in that bounced, I think, twice before one of the Brentford players got ahead on it. Uh, Today against Man City, um, I should say this is August 28th, 2021. So today against City, they conceded five goals. And uh, as I was watching the game, I'm pretty sure four of them were from crosses uh, of some kind, or what I will say is they're from wing play, which is again, what that formation is vulnerable on if, if they play it correctly. And we know City will it's it's wing play and then balls getting put into the middle of the field. I believe four four of their five goals were that. Uh, and so it's pretty much proven that at least from the defensive side of the thing, we don't have the right center backs for the job. We just don't. And it's tough considering how many center backs we've bought, but I'll get into that a little bit later. Um, and then you, the midfield is a nightmare. I. I wouldn't even really want to talk about it. Um, but uh, the midfield, uh, our, our midfield thus far in the past four years have like the staples of our midfield uh, have been Granit Xhaka, Al Elneny, Ceballos, and Emil Smith-Rowe, uh, and Lucas Torreira, who I actually really liked Lucas Torreira. Um, Granit Shaka is a nightmare. Uh, he, he's got to go. He got another red card today um, against, uh, against City. Uh, he's a totally different player. Uh, with Switzerland than he is with Arsenal, and it's it's a problem. Uh, I don't I don't blame Granit Xhaka for all of it, but you just there's got to be somebody better, um, especially with the new signing that we made or the the young signing that we made that I can't remember his name, but the defensive center mid who uh, who played last game who I thought was quite good, even though I know we lost. Mohamed El uh I think we all know is not quality enough. Uh, it just watch just watch the game. He, he's not good enough. Uh, Ceballos was a lone spell from Real Madrid and obviously didn't work out. Uh, and then Emil Smith-Rowe, quality, too young, I think, for my liking. I'd rather have players who are a little bit more established, um, who are playing through the middle of the field. Uh, I know that there are people of the likes of Mason Mount and, and others out there. But uh, I, if you're going to play a young player, I think you need to have the right tools around them, and and he doesn't. Um, And then I already mentioned Lucas Torreira. I actually really liked him. I was disappointed when he went on loan. I thought he, he had the type of grit and heart that you need in a team, but I guess, I guess the business didn't think so. And so, yeah, I mean, just talking about all that, it's very, very evident that Arsenal can't run a three or five back formation. They can't do it. They're just not good enough. Uh, they, they are trying, I assume playing with that five back with the wingers to not concede goals that hasn't worked. Uh, so I think something has to change there and they did it all last season too, uh, sporadically. They did play four in the back occasionally, but sporadically they've played this three back and they've done it now. I think the first three games of the season and it doesn't, it doesn't work. They're conceding left and right. And I think primarily it's because of all the chances that are coming from the wing. So I would rather see them play more of a 4-3-3 with defense-first wingbacks to cut down on the actual opportunities that people are getting from wing play to force players to go towards the middle or at least block crosses and force players towards the, uh, the defensive shape that we can put into the middle of the field rather than having them play out on the wing because balls in the air, clearly, we can't deal with. Additionally, I am just a fan of the four-three-three. I I think it gives uh, a, a more balanced shape across the whole field, uh, and and just more opportunities across the board. Additionally, it's it's a bit of a shame, but uh, you know, L- Leno I think is actually a very good goalkeeper. Uh, I know we got Ramsdale this summer, but I I I don't I, I don't know what their intentions are with Ramsdale. Um, but I I think Leno is actually a very good goalkeeper. Uh, which I might be in the minority on uh, amongst the blokes, but and I personally am a bit of a bigger fan of Gabriel than than the amount of time he gets, uh, at least when I see him play. But I also recognize that he's not good enough. And then our wide backs, Kieran Tierney is amazing. Uh, say whatever you want. I think he's one of the best left backs in the league right now. Uh, I, I, you know, you've got the likes of uh, of Luke Shaw and uh, I guess Marcus Alonso and Ben Chilwell. Um, Funny enough. But I actually think Kieran Tierney's a top five left back in the league, uh, almost certainly. Uh, and he's quite young, so that's good. The right back spot is needs some work, especially with Hector Bellerin constantly being injured. But what that frees them to do is, in, in more of a 4-3-3, it also frees them to have a more fluid attack. Uh, we have attacking players that have gotten the job done and have proven they can get the job done through Saka, through Aubameyang, through Pepe, and through Lacassette. Pepe needs some growing. but between those four players and uh, a couple other players that we have on the bench, we should be able to find a front three rotation that works and stick to a rotation. I'm also a fan of sticking to a formation and, and building out your team in that formation. Uh, moving Aubameyang along this front line all the time, I don't think is effective, but I think that type of a shape in a 4 3 would work and it would work almost immediately in terms of just at least stopping goals. Uh, it's tough right now out here and I think playing a 4-3-3 is, is what this team was built on because they still have a lot of Arsene Wenger's identity uh, built into the locker room. So I, I think that is the route to go. And yeah, I, I think you need to build a team around that type of formation um, because we just don't have the players for it, at least for this season. If they want to go back, then they can. But I think in terms of shape, that's their best bet in order to be successful. And I, I the the hopeful part of that is that I really think just changing their shape would be a completely different story. And that's why I think it's, it's okay that they're struggling, but not if they continue to struggle, which basically gets me to the next part. All right, the manager. Um, this is the third reason why Arsenal suck. I don't think you can talk about Mikel Arteta without first talking about a little bit of history. So Arsene Wenger is a legend. He left in 2018, so three years ago. Uh, Unai Emery showed up afterwards, uh, and now Mikel Arteta. So uh, Wenger was at the club 20-plus years. And the comparison I'm about to make is not a comparison of outcomes, just a comparison of the situation. And I am not saying that they are equivalent. I'm just comparing the situations that they were in. So we go somewhere across the country. Alex Ferguson, he leaves United in 2013. They've had four managers, effectively, since since Ferguson has left. And the first four years after Ferguson left, United finished 7th, 4th, 5th, and then 6th. And they only won a single FA Cup and a single Community Shield. The relevance of that is that that was following a title season. So Ferguson left after winning a title. And after that, they went through three reputable managers and then eventually turned to an ex-player from the club to lead the club. And depending on who you talk to, most people don't think Ollie Gunner is really the right man for the job. But that's the situation they're in. That's what happened post a legend leaving a club. So now we look at the reflection. Arsenal's first four years following Wenger's departure resulted in sixth place, fifth place, eighth place, and eighth place. And they have only won an FA Cup and a community shield. Now, the difference here is that when Alex Ferguson left United, uh, uh, Ferguson had just won a title. When Wenger left Arsenal, They had left on a fifth-place season. So it goes back to expectations a little bit as well. You know, the next two years, they finished sixth and fifth, basically the same time when their manager, uh, their their legend of a manager was finishing. And if you just look at the reflection of what I mentioned earlier, a lot of people don't think Ollie Gunner is the right man for the United job. And it's been eight years. Ferguson left in 2013. It's been eight years since their legend is gone. So I don't think we can expect that four years after an Arsenal legend leaves that we've already figured it out, especially based on the business that we do. And so I think that the hope there is that we will find the right person. Now, for anyone who doubts Wenger's quality and impact on the club, just to remind folks, because he did leave on a bit of a sour note and. Didn't win a title since 2003. We get it all. Wenger has the second most Premier League titles in history as a manager. He has the same number as Jose Mourinho and Pep Guardiola and is behind only Alex Ferguson, who we all know is likely never going to lose that title. Wenger also has the most FA Cup titles in history. He has the most games managed in Premier League history and has the second most wins in Premier League history. He is a legend. There's no getting around it. Uh, We can joke all we want, but he did a lot for that club, did a lot for the league. And I, I, again, I'm not saying he's anywhere close to the level of Alex Ferguson, but he is a legend and he is of that legend status, especially when it means to their clubs. And so I think they are, I think the situations are something that you can compare. And I think that's why it's going to take some time. But the one thing I will say is McKellar Tetz is not good enough. Uh, they they commented on it after the game today that uh, that he patted uh, Chaka on the back after he got the red card and they were like uh, you can't be like a manager's got to be mad uh, a manager can't be happy with somebody getting sent off or even okay with it at all especially a player like Chaka who does it regularly and I really think that when you look at uh, a player's ability to be aggressive, to have the grit, to have the discipline of some of these other teams. You have to look at the manager. Uh, I can even, I, I could say that for my own playing career, depending on what manager I had or, or coach, I should say, drastically changed the way that I played. I, I can say that for a fact, thinking back on all the coaches I've had, uh, the type of presence that you have in a locker room makes an impact on the way that you play. Uh, And also the type of presence you have on in a locker room makes an impact on how other people play, which has an impact on how they encourage other people to play. So McKellar Tets is clearly just not that person. They, they are going to have to get somebody different because the damage is done. And when you have a situation like this, there's no coming back from it and it's unfortunate, but it happens And the the hope is that that there's a turnaround. Um, Really, Arsenal need an old school type of manager at this point. I'd like them to go out and get an Italian manager, a German manager. One of the managers that play that type of style, I should say, of old school fundamental soccer, where if you aren't sacrificing your life to win a ball, then you're not starting. Because that's that that is the style that that some of these Italian teams play and some of these Italian managers expect, and it does get people to to play. And uh, you know, uh, Tuchel was my number one pick for the for the spot before Chelsea snagged him. Um, I was very disappointed that we didn't end up getting him. Uh, but I I really think that that's where we need to go is find a find a fundamental type of a coach who's going to really just whip people into shape and. The reason why it's okay in this case is that we have time. It's We shouldn't expect to have the right manager this quickly after losing arguably the best manager in the club's history. All right, and now the fourth reason why Arsenal suck. This one might be a bit of a stretch, but I hinted at it earlier, the transfers. So Arsenal have the most expensive season tickets out of any club in the Premier League. Uh, It is twice the cost of Man U, Man City, Chelsea, or Liverpool. Just about twice the cost. Not exactly, but some of them, yes, some of them on the edge, but effectively twice the cost. Arsenal are worth $2.8 billion. They are the fifth most valuable club in England behind Man U, Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool. And... uh, they have an estimated operating income. So money that they can spend on a yearly basis of about $47 million, which is the fourth highest among all the English clubs as well. And effectively that's the money that you can use without potentially risking some kind of uh, some kind of financial fair play issues or having issues, you know? So, so you could effectively buy a single $47 million player, but we all know that people can get around all that. Um, now, Stanley Kroenke is worth, I believe, ten billion dollars total. So, not chump change there. Uh, that might not be right, but uh, but I, 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 it's worth more than two point eight billion. That's for sure. And uh, and now, if we look at the actual transfers that Arsenal have made, so since two thousand and ten, Arsenal have signed seven center backs who are considered first team players at various top five leagues across the world. But if you look at Arsenal's back line, we have players like Callum Chambers and Rob Holdings still sitting in it who are worth a combined less than $30 million. And if you look at the other seven center backs that we've signed, they are worth a combined about $225 million. So something isn't right there, either between the quality that we're bringing in or the management after the players are there, but something isn't right. And then if we look at the other side of the ball, Arsenal have actually done really good business since 2010 in terms of purchases for the attacking side of the ball. Mesut arguably one of the best transfers in history of Arsenal. I would debate that with somebody all day. Uh, Well, best transfers. (laughs) Let Let me amend that. Best transfer of a player that was already in their prime. You know, obviously, if we want to talk about Thierry Henry, that was the best transfer, you know, got him for a steal, and then he ended up being the club's best player ever. But if we talk about players that are in their prime that were not a gamble, Mesut Ozil. Uh, and then you look at players like Alexis Sanchez, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Giroud, all players that have worked out. Uh, Giroud, Lacazette, maybe not you know, not the best players in the world, but they've worked out. And Pepe has time still. I I don't think that we can expect Pepe to come in and just dominate in a team that looks the way that it does, especially in the shape that we play. So I would want to give Pepe more time, and I'd love to see him in a different shape. And when you look at the successes versus the failures, the difference is that we end up getting players on the attacking side that are successes who have proven themselves already. And not just proven themselves for one season or even two seasons sometimes. They've proven themselves for a career nearly. They're in their prime, 26, 27, 28, 29. And then we go purchase them for what is a large sum of money. But those types of players have proved to be worth it. And these center backs that we've gotten, or defenders, I'll just say, none of them you would argue are, well, some of them might be in their prime. But no one would argue that they're world class. Uh, which I'll go through the list here shortly. But I don't think anyone would argue that they're world class. So Arsenal need to apply some of that attacking prowess that we've had in the past on the likes of midfielder and center midfielder and defenders. That's all they have to do. So I, it might sound crazy. But I actually think Arsenal are two signings away from a very, very, very different team. One that is top four. I'll I'll put that on there, but we won't get to see it because Arsenal are unlikely to do this. But I think they need a world-class midfielder and a world-class center back. Super easy to say, right? Oh, they just need those players. It's not unheard of. The best teams in the world are signing world-class center backs and world-class midfielders every year. Jack Grealish just went to United or just went to city. Varane just went to United. Van Dijk went to, went to Liverpool. These, these players, they do get transferred around and they do move. And it's not unheard of. Wynaldum just went to PSG. You could argue maybe he's not world-class anymore, but certainly was. Uh, Conte went, eh, I won't say Conte went from Leicester to, to, to Chelsea. That, that probably wasn't necessarily a similar case, but. The point is, is these players do move for the right price, and you do have to have an attractive enough team. But the players that I'm thinking of are, for Arsenal at least, players like Varane, who obviously that's out the door at this point. Um, Nicolas Soule at Bayern Munich, solid, big German center back, big guy. Um, I say Marquinhos. I know he's playing more of like a center defensive mid, but I really not really a huge fan of center backs playing center defensive mid, but you could also go out and get a compembe type from PSG. Um, but again, big, strong, the egos are there a little bit with those players, but big, strong center backs proven at their clubs, at big clubs and would cost a lot of money. Um, and then Diego Carlos over at Sevilla, really high quality defender, big Brazilian center back, 26 years old, I think. And, uh, or I, I, this one's probably a little younger and arguably not world-class, but somebody like Delict, but those aren't Delict, Delict and Veron, they're not going anywhere. But I think the likes of Sule, Marquinhos, Diego Carlos, uh, Kempembe, those are options, I think on the table. I, I don't see why they wouldn't be available. And, and a player like that would drastically change your team. They would organize your team better. They would solidify your back line. It makes a huge difference to have the right center back in there. And then if you look at the midfield, this is where I'm getting crazy, I know, but players like a Kimmich, a Casemiro, uh, a Leon Goretzka, Verratti, um, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of others that I'm missing, maybe a De Jong, probably still a little young for me and not, not really proven at this point. Um, but those are the types of players that Arsenal are going to have to go after in order to make a huge difference. And that would be a two hundred, three hundred million dollars summer, I get, with a forty five with a fifty million dollars operating budget, you'd have to make some trades. But the good news is and and more or less why it's okay, is Arsenal do have a history of making big changes um, in the face of adversity and and in challenging times, especially if we do get a new manager in. Uh, Ozeal was more or less to say, you know, a pick that we picked up because we were doing really poorly. Um, Sanchez more or less wanted to leave Barcelona, but once you start to get a player that is a really high quality player, other players want to come. So, you know, Alexis Sanchez, maybe he doesn't come to Arsenal if we didn't sign Ozil in the first place. So you do have to make that initial signing that, that attracts players to your club. And if we can do that as, as Arteta most likely uh leaves the role, then I think we have a big difference. I mean, the the big thing here that that I would point out is, in case it doesn't sound quite right, is this lineup in the event that we were to make a trade like that. So Leno and goal. Um, I don't really care between Leno and Ramsdale, but I like Leno. Um, Kieran Tierney I already talked about. I think he's one of the best left backs in the league already. Ben White, haven't really seen him play yet. I'm gonna assume he's high quality. Uh, I, I, I talk a lot of shit on him because I didn't really see him play, but I'm going to assume he's high quality and is going to be part of the starting, starting lineup and that he'd proven himself in the league at this point. Pair him with a Marquinhos, a Diego Carlos, a Delict, a Kimpembe, and then Hector Bellerin on the right. Something to work on, but Hector Bellerin has proved himself and that he's a solid rotation player. That would be your back line. Uh, in the midfield, Martin Odegaard, Thomas Partey, and then the likes of a Gretzka, Kimmich, a We didn't talk much about Thomas Partey, but really solid center defensive mid. Uh, He was the anchor of that Atletico Madrid team for so long, including a number of their runs to the Champions League. And uh, Martin Odegaard, not my favorite player, but solid enough that if you bring in a third midfielder in this 4-3-3, that you have what I think is a midfield to be feared and then up front talk all the crap you might want to about a bomb uh he was golden boot two seasons ago still still getting buckets uh this season we haven't scored a goal oh my gosh but i i I have faith in a bombing um and lacazette as his backup and then you have saka out on one wing and then pepe out on the other and i again i think if you play in a 4-3-3 like this you give more opportunities to saka and pepe so that they can actually have impact. So that type of a lineup immediately, I would argue with any of the blokes about this, is a top four lineup. And then I, I think it's worth just calling out some of the data uh, of, of, of Arsenal's, you know, the evidence that Arsenal has really struggled on the on the signings front, um, but also where Arsenal have had success to prove some of those points. So what I did is I looked up all the transfers that happened. Uh, within Arsenal since 2010, and I just tried to find the ones that I think have worked out, the ones that have added value, the ones that haven't worked out, just to prove a point. So if we go down the transfers of players that that haven't worked out, I'll go through these quickly. It's, a, it's sad that uh, that I have to say these, and to be fair, I put players on here that, that I think haven't worked out yet as well. Uh, Thomas Partey's had a lot of injuries, Odegaard isn't Proven yet, White isn't proven yet. But if I just look through these players, you're, you're looking at Nicola Pep, uh, Pepe, uh, White, Thomas Partey, Chaka, Mustafi, Odegaard, Mikatarian, Saliba, Torreira, Ramsdale, Gabriel, Socrates, Socrates Podolski, and David Luis. And if you specifically look at the center backs that we've signed, You're looking at uh, players like David Luiz conceded 56 goals in 53 games. Socrates conceded 58 goals in 44 games. Uh, Mustafi conceded 118 goals in 102 games. Um, It's just not there from the defensive side of things, and those are experienced players with likes of Socrates and and David Luiz. Um, So it's tough. Then we look at the players that have had value, in my opinion. Um, And one of these might be questionable to to some people, but not to me. Um, But if you look at the players that add value, these aren't the top transfers. These are just players that add value. I'll get to the top transfers after. But you're looking at Lacazette, Bernd Leno, Santi Cazorla, uh, Petrček, murta and Olivier Giroud. And you have to look at the value of these. Uh at the purchase price in order to really determine if if they were valuable at the time, I think, because some people would probably be like, rude, what? but uh, if you go down this list of players, Lacazette's the most expensive at 60 million and he's the most expensive by far. Leno is the second most expensive and he's 30 million. But Lacazette, the only reason I put him in this list instead of the, the players that, that haven't really proven themselves yet is because I think he still has a while to go. And I think, Overall, he's a great player to have as a backup. He scored 66 goals and 28 assists in 172 games. So a goal every three games, basically, and an assist in every six games, which is pretty good. Um, Leno, I think, is the one that people would say is questionable. Um, But he at at, at 28 million, he's got 34 clean sheets, 120 games. I think he's been really cheated out of out of the games because his backline has let him down so much over the course of the past three or four years. Um, Santi Cazorla through injury is why I didn't add him as a top player, but for $21 million and to score 25 goals and 36 assists in 130 games uh, for a, for a center midfielder. Um, some say a box box midfielder, but I always thought of him as more of a cam. Um, I, I think he's there. Um, Pettercheck, another goalkeeper that I think just didn't get, his, his justice uh, with, with the back line that he had, but 53 clean sheets in 140 games um, and only 15 million. And then the last two players are only cost us 13 million per Mertesacker, 13 million. Um, he had a win rate of 74%, which is pretty crazy. Um, so in, in 122 in 120 starts that he had, he won the games three fourths of the time which I think Per Mertesacker is kind of a, you know, lanky, goofy looking guy, but he got the job done um, for for a good amount of time. And then Giroud is the one that everyone might be like, what? But Giroud, for only $13 million, he scored for Arsenal 105 goals and 41 assists in 250 games. So he has a better goal-to-game ratio than Lacazette. He has about the same assist-to-goal ratio, just under the ones of Lacazette, and Lacazette cost $45 million more. Uh, so, and, and a lot of this came Giroud was coming off the bench. So I don't think there's any trash talking that we can have on Giroud. He did what he could for the club before leaving, and I think he was a valuable player. So, my top five transfers since 2010, uh, and I will order them. I'll go. I'll go five to one. Kieran Tierney spoke enough about him. Thirty million dollars. Top five left back in the league. Twenty early twenties. If that, he might be a teenager, but I think he's early 20s, uh, is steel. I don't have any stats on him, but if you just watch Arsenal play, he might be the best Arsenal player every game. Aubameyang, I think the second most expensive transfer in history. Um, at $70 million, he's 88 goals and 20 assists in 151 games. A lot of people thought he'd be kind of washed up coming from BBB, but he scores every other game for us on average. And gets an assist every eight games, which we're not looking for assists from Yang, but that extra production is great. Alexis Sanchez, another steal at $47 million because he scored 80 goals and 44 assists in 156 games. Nearly identical stats to Aubameyang, um, except he uh, was twice as efficient with the assists. So that just... I mean, he, he was the scoring person who led us to second place in 2016. I don't know if he got golden boot off the top of my head, but he was the reason, and the goals that he scored were just insane. If you want to have fun, go out and watch uh, uh, Alexi Sanchez' top goals at Arsenal. They were crazy, the goals that he was scoring. Second, since 2010, one that people might forget about. Lawrence Koscielny center back at Arsenal for basically eight years captain of the club um, prime well late Wenger years Um, but for only 14 million dollars he had 90 clean sheets and 22 goals in 255 games Um, I don't have his win rate but I bet it was pretty high and for 14 million dollars to have a, a center back that was as reliable as he was and as dominant as he was he was uh, he was in the, the team of the year, that that 2016 run that, that Arsenal had. There's no, there's no doubt that since 2010, he was one of the best purchases that we made. And to totally contradict my point above, he was not really proven, I believe, coming from Bordeaux. Uh, but it, it worked out at the end. Um, and I always wonder what having a manager who's from the same country as you how that impacts your, your ability to perform at the club, but it, it's an interesting fact. And then the best transfer since 2010, without a doubt, Mesut Ozil. Uh, I would fight this with anybody. Um, his last couple seasons I know were questionable in terms of getting on the field and also some off-the-field stuff, but I, I think the club did him kind of dirty. Um, but at $52 million, about the same price as Sanchez, uh, 44 goals, 77 assists in 254 games, nearly broke the record for most assists in a Premier League season. And uh, overall, I, another really fun video if you want to go watch it. I, 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 to this day, I think Kevin De Bruyne is the best long passer I've ever watched play. So I, not to make people angry, but I've ever watched play. Um, I'm, I'm sure there are others, but the way that he manipulates the ball is insane. But if you want to see a player manipulate the ball on the ground at all distances, Mesut Ozil is ridiculous. Uh, you can look up videos of Mesut Ozil's top passes, forget Arsenal just ever, and the types of things he does with the ball at his feet on the ground, um, short, long, um, whatever it might be, it, it's insane. And he was in his prime when we got him and he proved his worth, uh, and, and was the best transfer we had since 2010. But if you look at at least three of those five top transfers, players in their prime players that were proven in multiple leagues. Uh, for a number of years before coming to Arsenal, and they they proved themselves. Um, when you look at some of these players that had value-add capabilities, they were players that had kind of proved themselves in their leagues. Baron Leno, I think, Petr Cech, obviously, but some of these other ones, eh, they were kind of risky, um, especially coming from the French League. I'm always a little bit iffy on that one. So Lacazette was somebody I wanted, but don't get me wrong, a little iffy. And then if you really look at the notable transfers that didn't work out, I mean, this is littered with players that just – I don't know where they came from. Um, Granit Xhaka was good, but not great. Mustafi, good, not great at Valencia. Martin Odegaard, good, not great um, at whatever club he was loaned out to that I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, Mkhitaryan was aging. I mean, great player in his prime. Uh, Lucas Torreira was young, even though I liked him. Socrates old. David Luiz, old. It's just – it's not there. Um, and, and so they need to get back to their ways of buying players. I think that will turn the team around rather than buying players that they need to develop for a number of years. Um, and that's, that's my fourth and final reason why Arsenal suck. Uh, I, am sure that I could sit here and spout off a bunch of more reasons about why Arsenal suck, but that's what I have. And in terms of why it's okay being an Arsenal fan and, and why it's Okay. Well, there's a number of reasons. Um, the one is that, just as I said, we need to reset our expectations. Um, it's been 20 years since we've won a title effectively. Personal have been known to not make humongous purchases every single season. They do make big purchases, but not every year. Um, but when they make them, they tend to be successful. And so players like Pepe, players like Ben White, I think have op- have opportunity to be successful we need to give them time to develop and we need to get them into the right shape in order to, for them to be successful um and then additionally arsenal's youth actually looks pretty good um you know saka is a starter for england who have a, a fiercely competitive team uh i think grilich didn't even make the team uh and then Tierney, i spoke enough about him Emil smith row i think would start on at least 14 of the of the 20 clubs which isn't saying much i suppose but at 21 years old that's pretty impressive um and i really do think arsenal are are one or two legitimate pieces uh away from being a top four side uh other other reasons why i'm hopeful and why it's okay pep is not known to stick around uh for that long and it sounds really crappy to say well let's wait for pep to go away but i think it is legitimate uh Pep, I think, has two years left on his contract, and he's not somebody who typically stays with clubs for that long. I feel like City, he's been at the longest. Um, and so when Pep leaves, he tends to take talent with him and really rearranges the power of leagues across the world. Uh, and especially after the successes have a City that really could happen again. Who knows? Maybe it'll be the Italian League, um, but I, I feel like more likely as he'd go back to Barcelona or Real Madrid. But you know, in the next, however many years it is until he ends up leaving, there is a chance that the Premier League gets weaker before it gets stronger again. And again, it sounds crappy, but sometimes you need a weak season in order to reestablish yourself as a club that is a contender. And that's to say they basically get to climb a few rungs of that ladder, and then they have an opportunity to stay on that rung of that ladder rather than where they're at today, where they're so far behind the likes of City and and Chelsea specifically. Um, in terms of purchasing abilities and, and what they are doing with their money, that it's, it's going to be tough for them to catch up until players start to age and, and, and we start to have some, some younger talent that comes to be. Um, and then a new manager is probably coming, which is why I think it's okay. Uh, I, I don't see how Arteta sticks around. It just doesn't look right. Um, and they need to, to find a new manager. Uh, I, I think they'll probably find the right type of manager um, and move forward. But it might take two or three more managers before we find somebody. And the, the last thing of, of really why it's okay is uh, Arsenal, they're not going anywhere. Um, we're not in an age where a club can fall off the league all this much, especially one worth as much as Arsenal's worth. They're a top 10 valued club in the world. They're not going anywhere. They'll they're going to be good enough to obviously stay in the league. And, you know, even if they get 10th place, they're going to be good enough to stay in the league and good enough to where they can splash the money to make sure that they're getting the players they need, even from some of these other clubs that are also in their league to make sure that they don't even jump them. So they're going nowhere. And the last thing. Is that I actually don't think Arsenal are performing back to expectations. I don't think they're performing outside of expectations so when arsenal get to a point where they are contending and they are potentially close to getting that premier league title maybe it'll be another 20 years i don't know but when they're getting close to winning that next title it is going to be a little bit more satisfying because they'll have to go through adversity they're not going to do it most likely they're not going to do it away where they're just buying players to the point where they're winning which i think will be a more satisfying win Uh, The folks like Nate would probably disagree with me. They don't care how they win. Um, uh, And I guess I don't necessarily care how I win either, but I do think it would be more satisfying when, if you win within the face of adversity. So Chelsea winning the champions league title. Yes. They had beaten city already that season, but I think everyone went in with Chelsea not being favorites. And I think with Chelsea winning that game, it is more satisfying when you get to take down somebody as an underdog. And so I think that that is what Arsenal has to look forward to, which is why it's okay. So as long as we keep our expectations at really what Arsenal FC are, and that's not saying that we don't have stretch goals and that we don't try to push for more, but as long as our expectations are appropriate, then Arsenal will go through this flow just like they have in the past 100 years of – rotating talent in, making purchases when, when they can and making the right purchases when they can. And I think they just need to reorganize just a little bit here. Um, so I think a couple transfers, a change of shape, change of expectations and a change of manager and Arsenal will be a very, very different club. So, yeah, so that's why Arsenal sucks and why it's okay. Hopefully people like this. Um, all of the blogs that we do post will be on the website as well in written form. Uh, so you can go to the fiveblokes.com blokes.com slash podcasts, um, or just click the podcast button um, under listen, and you can click on one of the blokes and see a list of any, any blogs that they've posted. Um, and, uh, and you can both watch and listen them from there, but all of our blogs are going to be posted on Spotify as well, as long as they're recorded ones, and you'll be able to see them there as well. So hopefully people like more of a deep dive uh, to give people uh, what my next topic is going to be whenever I actually do it is I haven't really gotten to explore the history of Arsenal. So I'm probably going to do a series where I explore the history of Arsenal um, one decade at a time um, as well as uh, explore whether or not the Invincibles really were that good. Uh, I'd like to dive into that topic and, and really break down the numbers of, of what they did. So, I will certainly have more to come. Uh, the other blokes, I can't guarantee, but uh, hopefully, this is more content and, and interesting things that more people might want to listen to. So that's it for me. Peace. The five blokes.